0: Hundreds of people today phoned the ZBC saying they sighted an unidentifying flying object. It was a bright, radiant light. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was the absence of noise I didn't write. People from all over Zimbabwe were phoning the BBC to say, we've seen something weird. There were three of us that saw it. Myself, the co-pilot, and the pilot in another aircraft.
1: No wings, no nothing. Shiny, over thing. <laughs> Ariel School, 19th September,
0: 94. Could you tell me what you saw on Friday?
2: The silver thing in, in amongst this clump of, of trees. We saw this black figure running. His, his face was like this and his eyes were down here. I just thought it was some kind of alien from a different
1: planet. When you looked at those children, they
0: were absolutely credible. And, and whereabouts was it?
2: There were trees over there.
0: There was a big group of kids pointing and making a noise and shouting and screaming.
2: The panic spread. Am I safe or am I not safe? He's
0: a Harvard psychiatrist. Meet Dr. John Mack, a believer in aliens from outer space. We came away convinced that an extraordinary event occurred here. I think they want people to know
2: that we're actually making harm on this world.
0: How did that get communicated to you?
2: It came through my head.
0: Somehow there was a message about pollution from the way he was staring. I was just a hard-ass journalist. I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this UFO thing. I mean, I never felt this could derail my career. The Dean wanted to know, what is he doing?
2: Angels, yes, extraterrestrials, no. John is lost at this time.
0: This journey is literally to pick up the pieces and put them back together. Oh my
2: gosh. I was right on the logs when it actually happened.
0: You are the ones who drew those funny pictures.
2: Something that I'll never ever forget. I've drawn this again.
0: That's why I usually kept it quiet. People think
2: you're crazy. My husband doesn't even know about it. You feel so alone in society.
0: Why is it that we tend to want to shrink this powerful phenomenon to our notions of reality rather than... Being able to stretch ourselves to expand what we know and to admit that we don't know would you like to see him again
2: yes
0: and if you saw him again what would you do
2: i'll ask him some questions
0: what would you like to ask him
2: i'll ask him what is he doing on earth and what does he want with us
1: in the world of ufology a few names immediately come to mind roswell new mexico travis and fire in the sky and the phoenix lights incident later in the show we will be joined by director keith Aram to discuss the phoenix lights and his movie a sci-fi thriller that he created based on the real events surrounding that story but there's another story a story that needs to be told and finally is being told Properly. I've been fascinated by this story for a long time, and I'm so happy that there's finally someone we can speak to about this. Coming up next, right here on the best in paranormal talk radio, we're going to discuss the aerial phenomenon.
0: I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney.
2: He, he won't know. Me. He doesn't stand for baloney. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps
1: not. Hello, my little darklings. In this first feature documentary about aerial school, uh, yeah, the aerial school UFO incident, the aerial phenomenon explores a close encounter witnessed by over sixty school children outside their schoolyard in Zimbabwe. Over 25 years later, this incident is still fresh in the students' memories. They continue to search for answers and the courage to speak their truth. A young woman returns to her school in rural Zimbabwe, the place that at age nine shattered her reality. In this documentary, we meet a respected BBC war reporter who reluctantly covered the event, ultimately leading him to risk his career on the one story that haunted him the most. And jeopardizing his reputation is Pulitzer Prize winning Harvard psychiatrist, Dr. John Mack, whose validation of the eyewitnesses made this mass sighting impossible to ignore. Joining us now is director, Randall Nickerson, to challenge us to consider what happens experience something so extraordinary that no one believes you. Aerial Phenomenon, that is the name of the documentary. We have a link for the website and the information on how to see the documentary on today's program guide. Randall Nickerson, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here.
0: Dave, thank you too, I appreciate it.
1: I I have a strange question to begin this with. I I mentioned in the opening the fact (laughs) that when you're you're asked about UFOlogy and, and some of the most famous sightings, and I was just at the Fear Fair in California this past weekend, and we were doing a UFO talk and panel and people ask, what stands out the most to you is, is the most credible? I, Roswell, New Mexico, the the Travis Walton Fire in the Sky story, and the Phoenix Lights are some of the most powerful, along with Rendlesham Forest and a few others. But those come to mind. But I've heard the story that took place in your documentary years ago, and I've heard it repeatedly, but it never seems to lock in my mind. And when I remind people of it, they're like, oh, my God, I I've heard about, this. why is nobody talking about this? Randall, are we being cloaked? Why, why are people not referring to this or remembering this in any valid way?
0: Um, well, I, you know, we saw it on sightings. I think it was, 19, it was 1995. Um, and then we kind of never heard about it since then. And that really boils down to a legal matter of, of somebody who owned some of the footage not willing to... Uh, uh, I don't know. That's the just the truth. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people tried to make this film over the years, <clears throat> and they ran into um, serious legal issues with the footage. So I had there was a lot of work actually to uh, try to remain calm and just let's tell this story. It's been too long. Everybody mm-hmm. keep trying. It. Look, we got to tell this story. You know, that's what I was telling people. It's just like. We can't keep just because I know this is important to somebody, or like this story is really important on a much larger scale. That was my feeling, you know.
1: Now, we mentioned, of for course, that for. there were, <laughs> yeah, there are about 60 people, 65 children, school children that saw this, but it wasn't just a, a playground full of children that witnessed it while all the adults were inside working on assignments. How many people in total saw this phenomenon take place?
0: Well, the, the number 60, it was 62, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. was the original report. Uh, that was because there were 62 drawings made. So, oh. and, and there, I, the witnesses, it's over 100 because they didn't even include the younger children um, because they were traumatized and um, they didn't want to uh, put them through any more trauma. To be honest, uh, they so they only interviewed nine year olds to 13 year olds. Um, so that's yeah, well, so it was well, I mean, other people out what convinced me, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was actually, I mean, when you meet the kids, when you meet the witnesses, I mean, I, I challenge, I mean, hope you don't, nobody does that, but if, if you talk to them, it's, it's, uh, that might change your mind. Um, but it was, uh, it was actually the, Um, the pilots, the, the, the other people, it was actually adults that said it, you know, like now that we, we saw it, we saw it. So, um, it was already being viewed, um, by somebody that lived near the school in the early morning, the -hmm. pilot the night before three pilots, at least there was two I couldn't find. Um, but they've talked about it online. I saw them some old posts they made. So that kind of really changed the game a bit. Um, but it was well over hundred students.
1: Yeah. Now, when you go back to reinvestigate a case like this, we know that the memory is fallible, that things can, you know, be sorted in different ways. And it may be remembered much bigger, or in some cases much smaller than the actual incident itself. Yeah. How reluctant were people to come forward to, to re-examine this story with you?
0: Um, I would say a good 30 were really wanted to talk about it. And then, and I interviewed a lot of people who would not go on camera. Um, and there was a large group of those people. Uh, it wasn't that it didn't happen. It's just, they were, you know, they expressed to me, um, that they just shouldn't take, couldn't take the risk or they had a, a religious belief that it was something, you know, from, demonic something right something, yeah. yeah exactly i ran into that i was surprised to run into that but i guess i shouldn't be um but that even solidified it again it's like wow well, whatever happened there if he's talking about the devil uh something really really wild happened there right. i mean just you know what i mean um but i mean i've just done so many interviews and, and talked to so many of these kids and uh I mean, they tell the same story. That's the thing is the archival, what they say in the archival, and a lot of it they haven't even seen. I've seen it all, I have it all. So, you know, I already knew their story and how they told it. And I even gave a lot of the kids their own drawing because they didn't wow. have it. The school kept them. So, I mean, I'd like to by the end of the just all this whole crazy, you know, production, <laughs> the way, you know, the film and all is great, but, uh, you know, it's just still a lot of work, but
1: I'm just going to go that. in. Did you go in as a believer, Randall? Did you did you say this is this is true? Did you go in to see if you could find where the holes were, where the problem really was oh, yeah. and what they.
0: All I had was uh, Dr. Max footage in the mm-hmm. beginning. So I immediately, you know, watched that over and over and over. And I just, I just had so many questions that, you know, I, I was like, I have to go to the school. And dude, it's a big deal to go to Africa yeah. and it's a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the most crazy things I've ever done in my life and to survive and film and investigate all this. I mean, no wonder no one did it. It's really hard. I mean, especially in when I did it in 08 was the first trip. I've been there three times um, really? and you either buck up or you go home. That's the way Africa actually is. Um, it's pretty hardcore in that way, but so yeah. I mean, I was I I was like, I have to go to the school if I'm going to put my name on this. Um, I have to go to the school, and I have to find out more. You know, mm-hmm. I've got one person's interviews. That's not enough to, for me to really? put out a credible story. So uh, over time, I uh, you know went to school, which was amazing. Three of the teachers that were there that day were still working there um i started i looked at that wall with the kids names and you know that they had these like steps that had the kids handprint and their names and um i was like i can find these kids i can find them and that was like on the fly in 2008 it's like i have to find them like i've seen them and then then the then the search also became uh what else could it be i talked mm. to astronomers who had seen this uh thing in the sky who they couldn't explain it themselves. Uh, and they also, but they, but when they heard that somebody said it was a Russian rocket body coming in, they never asked another question. This was a university professor hmm. um, and you know, just people like, I remember him, I'm doing the interview and he's, he says, do you really think this happens? Like, I don't know. And he just started laughing. I mean, you
1: know, it's still traumatized to this day about what they witnessed or have they come to terms with it and have any of them had anything similar happen since?
0: Um, I have, uh, everybody's sort of at a different stage from my, what I've seen. Um, Mm -hmm. and some people do not even want to think about it at all. um, because it was disturbing at the very least. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, uh, it did a fair amount of trauma to, to people just to, it, you know, how, how are you not gonna see something like that and not be in shock right. on some level? Granted they're kids, so they're more impressionable, more open-minded, um, but they weren't dummies. You know, they were very intelligent children uh, trained in what what lives out there, which you have to know right. if you're mm-hmm. going to live in Africa. That's just uh, we we don't even understand what that is. And
1: they were so well spoken throughout the documentary and all of the footage. Yeah. It's it's there, there didn't seem to be that you know. Being a dad myself with eleven kids, I've heard a lot of crazy Hello. stories come out of mouths, right? And kids telling me things that you just look at them and know you are searching for this story, man. You are creating on the spot here, Spielberg. But these kids <laughs> were laser focused in what they yeah. saw. And it was it was not like they were rehearsed. Not at all. It wasn't like they were, you know, searching for something to say. They said what they had and they stopped when they didn't. And that, to me, was really powerful. Let's go back in time 25 years. I know the documentary does a fantastic job. And, folks, I'm telling you, honestly, on a scale of one to five Phantoms, you know, that one sucks. Five's amazing. This is about a five and a half. So make sure you check out the documentary again links on today's program guide so you can find it watch it for yourself but if you are interested in ufology even if you're not you're just interested in the strange and and bizarre this documentary is for you because this should be out everywhere they've just hit over a million views on this and it should be much higher especially with the disclosure going on and the world kind of reshaping and and becoming more accepting to the possibilities of what's going on watch a program like this and start to educate yourself on just how other cultures examine and deal with these things. But take us back to Zimbabwe 25 years ago. What happened to these school children?
0: Um, there were reports at the time of several different objects that were seen in the sky over according to the BBC report and everything could, I could find out for about a week. And it continued after the aerial school incident. It was Friday morning break. The kids were out. They had the prefects. The older kids were in charge of the kids. There was a woman mm-hmm. in the tuck shop, which unfortunately wasn't facing the field. And it was a very small window. A tuck shop is like a curio shop. They sell candies to the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is a huge playground. Huge. I mean, the distance from the playground where these kids are gathered, started to gather to watch this unfold. Uh, you know, there's tennis courts there that are like 200 yards away. <laughs> I mean, and then there's an upper playing field that you can't see the lower field from. I mean, it's like a college campus, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. But then again, you're, you're, in, uh, you're in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, they had seen this object in the sky doing bizarre, crazy things. And they were a lot of them were playing soccer. Uh, there were kids in the playground, there were kids on the upper field and that this thing was going across the sky they watched it and then they sort of like, I don't know what that was. And then all of a sudden it races in, um, and it's all of a sudden on the ground about 150 yards from the edge of the playground, um, mm-hmm. which that edge is a solid edge. You don't go past that edge because right. it's trash, snakes, poison, you know it's the reality of it. It's like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And then another species, you know, potentially showed up. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Right. This
1: isn't just strange things in the sky that a bunch of kids in Africa might not know. It's a secret military ship or something. These children, these people saw beings.
0: Correct. Right. They saw this thing. Um, whether it was hovering on the ground or set on the ground is a whole nother conversation. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, they saw these creatures, these little smaller They're you know, they, many of them say it was about the size of me. I'm 10 years old, about the size of me. Um, and one of them, at least I believe it was actually uh, more than that. Um, but you know, they saw multiple ones near, near this object that was, it was super shiny. It came in with a very powerful light and a sound. Um, and um, uh, <clears throat> one, one of them, uh, one particular one approached the kids on the playground who had gathered um, at the bottom of the playground. Um, it's a, like a series of rocks and then there's the, the log barrier which, where they can't go. Mm-hmm. Um, and this creature approached them very closely, according to all the witnesses that I spoke with and made eye contact with them. And it was like they describe it as like time being completely different. They couldn't hear anything outside. You know, all the kids were screaming and, you know, there were kids crying. And, and then all of a sudden it just went quiet. And they had this, some kind of uh, interaction with this creature. Like a um, telepathic link. that they like connected. the way they kids say it. They don't even know that word. And they're saying, right. he was in my conscience. Like, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I mean, and the archival, there's so much more archival. I mean, it's astounding what's, what gets said. And uh, unfortunately, you're limited to an hour, you know. Right. Ideally an hour and a half, this is an hour and 38, but boy, I could do a four hour film on what happened there. But <laughs> did they have this, did they feel that these beings were aggressive at all? Or no. was it just
1: more something out of the ordinary? We don't know what you sure, are. This is, correct. this is frightening for that series or for that sense alone.
0: Correct. And, and the sense that the, a lot of the kids felt like this thing wanted them to go with them.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Did they ever get that message telepathically? I know a lot of it seemed very conservationalist, right? They were kind of warning the children that you you know the world needs to be protected. It's you're at a a critical point here. What made them feel that they also wanted the children?
0: Uh, Just the feelings. They they express Mm -hmm. their feelings. Uh, There's a couple in the film that do. Uh, You know, I just tried to show and you know several examples of everything like, okay, here's a few, but there were a bunch more that said exactly the same thing or, you know, put it in their own way, but they had a feeling that these creatures wanted them to go with them. And, you know, not all of them, not all of them, but a a solid group of them. So, I mean, I I don't know, it's all pretty wild. And I, you know, even in the messages that they got about our climate, which is anybody Mm -hmm. looking from the outside is going to tell us, uh, guys, you might want to do something about your planet. <laughs> I mean, that totally makes sense to me. But I also thought, well, maybe when you go through this kind of trauma, I don't know. But I I theorize like, well, maybe when you go through this particular trauma, because it's a very unique type of trauma, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that maybe you start thinking about your environment. You know, uh, you know, when it, when an animal gets threatened, uh, you know, they start to think about their cage more, right? Uh, more importantly. I don't know. I'm just... It's its a theory, but the thing that also is true is a lot of uh, people who've had encounters with these things have gotten those same messages over time. Exactly. And don't you find it fascinating, though, that of all the people of Earth
1: to tell this to, you go to... And I do not I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you go to a, a group of kids in Zimbabwe. At what <laughs> point do you think this is the group we need to talk to? You know, do you think it's because this isn't the first time they've tried this and the adults are just too stupid. We're not listening. We're not, or, or are
0: taking things into a different spin. Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, that's a very interesting question. I think about it a lot. Um, what, what I found interesting in the school was Mm -hmm. it was multi-religion, even though it was a Christian school, there were Islamic, uh, animism, Christianity, you name it, like mm-hmm. the Shona had their own religion. And I mean, everybody there was it was a mix of religion and it was a mix of people from all over the world white, black, brown. I mean, that was that was you know, I said, well, why would they why is this unique for them? And why? And the other thing is, a lot of these kids that graduated that school have become people in, the, in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know they're affecting change. They're, you know, that's I what I wanted you to get to is the fact that there I is met a any reason. Hackers yet out of that group. I mean, they're really smart kids and uh, and and have been very successful. They're all around the globe now. That most of them have left Zimbabwe. So
1: it's interesting, right? This thing broke their paradigm, broke yeah. their understanding of the world, and they all excelled instead of. Falling into just the doldrums of day, they made something of themselves, took it further, and are working at a way to make the world a better place. It's yeah. an interesting element of the story, no
0: doubt. Um, I interviewed the parents. Yeah, go I ahead, please. To the parents of a lot of these kids to say what changed when this happened, and um, one of the dads uh, of a, a twins that were there that day said. Every, anything became possible after that for them in their minds. And he said, I think that was a great thing. Whatever happened to them made them start to think like anything's pop. If that's for real, anything possible, which has led them into uh, careers that are, are uh, respectful. You know what I mean? That's, that's so powerful, isn't it?
1: Um, I, I know we only have a few minutes left here. You, you talk with, um, of course, you've got this BBC reporter, a war reporter, who who gets haunted by the story, goes in, this is something that could jeopardize his career. Foolishly enough, you would think that this would be something that we would want a war reporter to report on, because sure. this is an element of, it may not be extraterrestrial, but something happened. There is no doubt that something happened, and we should know and understand what it is, so that we're
0: prepared if there's some kind of invasion force from any foreign country. We just, that's the the important part is like, well, what are these? I mean, this is what our government and our military is telling us is what Mm -hmm. are these things? We need to know their intention. Well, yeah, that's pretty important because they could literally decide our fate. You know, if they're not, if they got someone, who knows? Well, you got to start thinking that way. We need to address it as soon as possible. Dr. John
1: Mack goes there. He's a a psychiatrist. I mean, this is something I'm sure is, oh, wow, this is group hypnosis or hallucination i've got to find out what's making these things tick and this man changes right this man is changed by this experience and speaking with people to the point where it's jeopardizing his life his career and his legacy uh do you do you think that he ever regretted having this
0: story come
1: to him to be a part of this investigation
0: well he was at the time he was starting to really look into this seriously this whole phenomenon because of Mm -hmm. It didn't fit you know, the man has a 50-year career. He's one the Pulitzer, professor at Harvard. He knows what he's doing. And when he ran into this, these type of experiences, he, he felt like he couldn't diagnose them in any way other than that they saw something that was a real experience. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he was ever, um, you know, it, it cost him dearly. It right. cost him dearly. It's cost, it cost the kids dearly, the kids this happened to. Like nobody really won in this uh, story.
1: And the real shame
0: that they stood up and they right. st- to their story and said, "Hey, this really happened." The real shame, Randall, is right. I mean, a doctor comes forward with a new idea
1: and says, "I believe that stomach ulcers are caused by bacteria and that it's an infection that we can cure with <laughs> with uh, antibiotics." And he laughed right. off the stage until he's proven. Correct. And that gives him a recorrection. That allows him to regain. In these situations, even if suddenly tomorrow morning we wake up and and like Independence Day, there are craft hovering over every anchor of our earth here. And they just say, hey, take better care of things. We do exist and they're gone. The fact is, it doesn't do anything for the people that have lost their lives and careers and and, uh, reputations in the past. There will be no Oh, okay. Well, hey, Dr. John Max. sorry
0: about that. You understand the confusion and putting, you know, well, John Mack, putting that yeah. thing right. It's just like in history, we think things are insane and crazy. And then 50 years later, it's like, oh, we used to think that was crazy and insane. Now it's, yeah, it's in the DSM six or seven or whatever, right. you know, the medical journals and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 it's just, We have to address this stuff. What is
1: the one thing you took away from this experience, digging through this footage, interviewing these kids, seeing the original interviews, doing your your research and due diligence? What is the one thing that shocked you most?
0: Hmm. There were so many times uh, when I was in interviews um, that I was shocked by what people told me. Uh, I was also shocked when, you know, it wasn't just John Max material. I found five other sources of people who interviewed these kids. So that was really important to me because I could see them age and tell the same story again. Right? Uh, you know, they're never looking at to check in with other people, whether they're telling the same story right from the beginning. There's I had people, body language experts look at this very carefully and tell me, are they telling the truth? And you know, I had to do that because, you know, my, for me, it was important that I get this right and made sure I made all the correct uh, moves.
1: Great stuff. The documentary is out and available folks. There's a link for it on today's program guide, Aerial phenomenon, a documentary by Randall Nickerson. You can check out aerialphenomenon.com phenomenon.com for that. Randall, thank you so much. And please, uh, I'd love to have you back on um, and, and, you know, if you think you're going to be able to build this into maybe a second documentary, if you've got that much footage, is there more that you think needs to be explored on the subject?
0: I do. I mean, I think all the other interviews that I did deserve to be... People need to see that because it's the wider story, um, you know, of of the people around the school. I didn't touch really mm-hmm. touch the people outside that really saw quite a bit. So... Um, but again, right now I'm in the mode of, I have to pay back <laughs> a lot of money. I mean, right. it's not even funny anymore. Um, and until I can start, um, the next project, but I would love to, uh, just put a cap on it because I, I can talk to any skeptic cause no one's done this work. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really done this amount of work. I did it for 15 years. I was going to get every piece of information from every source I could. And I did. Have you, have you ever felt threatened for doing this job? Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say threatened observed. Yes. Okay. I mean, I try to stay away from that stuff cause it's conspiratorial, but there's also a very real element to it. Sure. That, uh, only people that are really involved in doing deep research really understand. I mean, we're not alone out there. I'll tell you right. that. Like there's right. other people with, uh, some, uh, What do you say? Would you say clearances? I guess that's the best way to put it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, that are also out there and uh, occasionally cross paths, but they're always very interested in what you're what you're up to,
1: what you're sharing.
0: Right? Well, thank
1: you again for being here. And we will look forward to hearing more from you. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Fascinating stuff, guys. This is amazing. This is truly one of the most compelling stories. Ever related and why more of us don't know about it, it's beyond me. I'm baffled by that enigma myself. But now that it's out there, now that there's a documentary people can tune into to check out for themselves, see this, do that, watch this, spread the word, share this documentary, get people renting it, buying it, help this man get his money back so we can see more and get deeper into the story to see the compelling arc that reaches out beyond the school because that's just the first chapter. So there's a lot more to tell out there. Stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my Darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide.
2: It's Chris Jericho here, just reminding you about the four leaf clover. Chris Jericho's rock and wrestling rager at sea, the fourth
0: voyage, leaving February 2nd from Miami to Great Stirrup Key, our very own private island. This is going to be the biggest and best
2: Jericho cruise ever with the biggest lineup. The most fun, I guarantee it. Come join us for the vacation and the party of a lifetime.
0: ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Cabins still available. I want to see you there.
1: Rocking, wrestling, raging, and if you find me on the ship, I'll be there. I'll be there as the paranormal contingent. We're going to spend some nights star watching because we've had weird experiences out at sea. So make sure that you find me. If you're on that Jericho cruise, if you're still on the fence, that should be enough to push you over. If you don't enjoy all of the rest of the entertainment, you get paranormal and sky watches for UFOs in the darkest, most beautiful skies you're ever going to get a chance to see.
2: Haunted Magazine is packed full of the paranormal, stuffed with the supernatural, sauteed with spookiness, Garnished with ghosts and even drizzled with a dash of demons. If you want histories, mysteries, ghost stories, hauntings, weird stuff, freaky stuff and more supernatural than you can shake a stick at. Come and see Haunted Magazine for the world's best paranormal writers. Visit www.hauntedmagazineprintshop.com for your latest scare remember kids don't be normal be paranormal
1: you've asked for it i've got it the new paranormal 60 t-shirts are here if you're interested make sure that you contact me you can uh, reach me at at paranormal60.com they are 25 to 30 dollars depending on the sizes that you want we've got four clever fun backs we've got the paranormal 60 logo on the front Don't scare me, I poop easily on back number one. You can be my little Darkling and prove it by wearing a Darkling shirt on back number three. Number two's got our famous news quote, words is hard. And of course, back number four has got Paranormal Talk Radio with our logo and our website. So if you'd like to get in on that and get the shirts, make sure that you email me as soon as you can, dave at paranormal60.com. Those will be shipping out here in the next couple of weeks. I uh, had a chance to go to the Fear Fair this weekend, and it was a great festival. I want to thank the people that put this on. Hundreds of people in attendance, a lot of great things going on from the Venice Freak Show, people that were there putting on an amazing program. Uh, It was really fun to watch them and interact, and I got a chance to see Kevin Stone do his seance routine. But uh, while we were there, we got a chance to see a screening of a sci-fi supernatural thriller movie, if you will. And uh, I want to share that uh, trailer with you right now. In 1997, you took part in one of the largest
0: military cover-ups in the United States history. That's correct. They've been here before. In Osaka, Roswell, those are recon missions. But Phoenix was different.
2: All ...across the state of mysterious flying objects in the sky and what many are already called the largest UFO
1: sighting in North America. Congress doesn't even know what this happened. Oh, man! What's
2: that one behind? That
0: one? They were testing our weakness, testing our capabilities. It was only the beginning.
1: Phoenix Incident from Keith Aram, an award winning talent director of Call of Duty and Titanfall, is an investigation into the March 13th, 1997 disappearance of four Arizona men exposing a military cover up of the largest UFO sighting in North America. The Phoenix Incident is a film based on true events. We've got the director with us right now. Great guy. Fun talk this weekend we had at the uh, Fear Fair. Thank you for being here with me, Keith.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, we had a lot of fun this weekend. That was a blast.
1: This, you know, the uh, and for everybody else, I'm good. I'm going to do a uh, upon further review at the end of tonight's show for the movie Nope because I felt it, it was the right time to do it. I watched it on the flight home today from California, figuring, well, I've got two great guests. I've got Randall Nickerson on, I've got Keith there, and We're going to be talking about uh, UFOs and some of the biggest stories uh, ever in history for UFO sightings. And uh, again, being a fan of, of, Fictional movies and, and interesting storytelling. Jordan Peele, I really felt delivered. So we'll we'll discuss that later. But right. Keith, now this this is interesting because this movie came out quite a few years back, but it has had a resurgence since the uptick in interest in disclosure. You've blown up with this movie. You're you're going to be putting it back out there again, correct?
2: Yeah, it's been interesting. The film came out in 2016. We were one of the uh, first uh, the first independent film to come out with uh, Fathom Events uh, nationwide. And, uh, and so the film did great for us. You know, it was my first film, working moving from video games into directing my first motion picture. And then with the Pentagon disclosure and all the mm-hmm. footage that's kind of come out over the past several years, uh, and the viral campaign that surrounded the movie, uh, it just got kind of this amazing tailwind. And uh, the rights are just coming back to us now. It's in the film festival circuit, which is why we were at Fear Fair. And uh, I think just in the past month, it's won best picture, best horror, and best thriller and sci-fi at 15 festivals, including Cannes and Rome and uh, worldwide. It's doing great for us. So we're excited. We want to get it back out there and get people to see it again and kind of start investigating it again.
1: Now I do want to I, please, folks, pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Our first guest, Randall Nickerson, was on talking about his factual documentary about the Ariel School phenomena, the the real story that took place. None of it's fictionalized. None of it is done as a thriller. It is an actual documentary with real footage, real information. Um, Keith did a story based on the Phoenix Lights scenario and uh, and all of the hubbub that surrounded that. Uh, I. But he knows the information, and that's why I wanted to talk to him about the Phoenix Lights and what is going on with that with that story for people that maybe are still living under a rock somewhere and are not familiar with it or they've heard it in passing but unfamiliar with what actually took place. I wanted Keith to come on and share this with you, but also as a fan of sci-fi and lover of, of uh, strange movies, this is one I wanted everybody to see, and I got a chance to watch it great movie this is another one i'm going to give a really nice high marks to keith uh just fantastic storytelling creepy and a, a great way of of kind of i love the way that you open this up in a way to have people go i wonder if this is real and then sends them down the rabbit hole the, to to search up the real stories behind what you're basing most of your your tale on uh, now, you, I, I overheard you. I didn't get the full story. I overheard you talking to somebody. You had like a million-dollar budget for this movie, but half of it was spent on fines because of your viral marketing. Is that correct? <laughs>
2: uh, well, uh, so we seeded the movie in a very interesting way because I knew we were working on much bigger films, and, and that's kind of where mm-hmm. my career has been heading into doing some – you know, larger movies, but this was like my student film. This is my first film. So we raised a million dollars and we started, as I was writing the script and I knew the locations we were gonna be shooting, we started this very elaborate uh, viral campaign to sort of add to the authenticity of the story and the characters, but we were also seeding it in a lot of reality. So I did a tremendous amount of research met with uh, almost a thousand eyewitnesses and military personnel and uh, government officials. And so I wrote the story and started creating social media characters and websites and news stories and other things, bringing in real news reporters, real government people, and just started these websites almost as sort of a multimedia transmedia kind of uh, endeavor while I was working on the script. And then when we worked on the motion picture script, we had to get clearances and we had to get lawyers in to kind of uh, do all the script clearances. And they actually rejected the first draft of the script. They said, well, you've got to get the life rights to all these guys that went missing and all the other stuff. And they cited about 30 different websites and all this news footage. And we had to tell them that was our all of our material. And so uh, they were like, mm-hmm. wow,
1: right. so you what- You use the yeah. Blair Witch uh, Market mm-hmm. tools.
2: Completely, what the Blair Witch had done, and they really paved the uh, the path for this. And what was great about it was, is that we weren't trying to punk people. It wasn't the idea to take advantage or to add disinformation. It was actually the the opposite. Was that um, growing up in Arizona and seeing so many things myself? um, There's a lot of military presence there. There's a lot of things you see in the skies that you just have no. Uh, explanation for and mm. uh, knowing what happened with the Phoenix lights and the Halebach comet and the Heaven's Gate cult and a lot of these things are all happening at the same time um, I really wanted to create a story that was going to create people to the go and investigate that and so as we launched the film with this very elaborate uh, viral campaign um, our one of our main websites that was sort of uh, active um, was threatened uh, legally by the Department of Justice, and uh, yeah, it was a half million dollar fine and a five year imprisonment uh, if we were convicted. And wow. so we had our lawyers together with the DOJ, and we had to explain to them that this was a viral campaign for the film. And uh, very shortly after that, we also met with uh, Alejandro Rojas from Open Minds and a number of other people in the UFO community, and said, "Guys, look, we're not trying to do a disinformation." campaign to dishonor what's happening if anything we're trying to inspire people to go and do the research to actually look at what's going on and open up these stories that people don't know about so by fictionalizing these characters and what we were creating it was actually inspiring people going wait a second i heard about that and they'd go and find our viral campaign and then they'd start looking it up and it actually um did a it was just a great experience just learning about that and then being embraced by the ufo community and Nick Pope and Lee Spiegel and Alejandro Rojas and Stanton Friedman and Ben Hansen and John Greenwald. All these guys really were very instrumental in in kind of helping us launch this and and getting the UFO community behind it.
1: I really appreciate the fact too, that you worked out something with the UFO community that you, you created that hashtag and I believe it's on the bottom of the poster here. Let me pull that back up. Hashtag disclose now. If any of them saw that they would know that it's one of your viral campaigns and that this information was not real.
2: Yeah, that, right. the idea that the mainstream public saw it, they're like, oh, this is, you know, it looks like a thriller or something that could be realistic. And obviously, when it went out, it uh, was on the front cover of the Mirror UK and Yahoo News, and everyone was reporting this early sightings before the Pentagon sightings came out. Ours was Mm -hmm. huge. It was like 20 million uh, interactions that we had, but with the UFO community that disclose now hashtag was sort of our little safe word to say, Hey guys, this is a fictional story. So don't think that we're spreading disinformation."
1: Did you have any flashback? I I asked that because I saw the fourth kind and being a host of a paranormal radio show, I was brought in by the, um, the movie studio i was told this is true they've had, they put in real footage from the actual interviews they got me hook line and sinker i went in yeah. and saw that movie and it was truly one of the most terrifying movies i've ever seen because of the way they cut it i understood that it was a fictionalized telling of the true story and that they were in, i thought it was a clever way to do it when they'd show uh, they'd show the actress sitting on the couch talking to the video camera on the video camera screen you'd see the actual Person, quote unquote, the actual person. It wasn't until a few weeks after the movie that suddenly they said, Nah, we're just joking. It's just a movie. It was just a viral campaign, and it pissed a lot of people off. And yeah. I know a lot of people that loved it and it just shut it down. Uh, were you worried that that flashback might have an effect on you and the film as well?
2: It definitely, because uh, I mean, we we were really poking a lot of holes in conspiracy theories that were there about the Heaven's Gate, about Hail Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously what was happening with the flares with uh, the the incident that actually happened in Phoenix. And so we knew that there was going to be some controversy in the community because some people believe that it was peaceful event. And obviously we've got pretty vicious aliens in in our movie. And we knew that uh, just because of the controversy of what the, the government and military were saying, and here we are saying there were flares involved, that was going to offend some people. Then to do a Hollywood thing and have actors coming out and portraying something. Um, So we were trying to just get ahead of that as much as possible, and letting the community know that like this is taken from eyewitness accounts. There are reports that the pilots were reporting in about the engagement. We did talk to Francis Barwood and all these other people that were involved in the actual investigation. So we wanted to honor that, and sort of like if you think about these historical dramas, like. Titanic. You know, you have these fictional characters that go through real events and it sort of humanizes that and gets people more familiar mm-hmm. with what's going on and inspires them. So ultimately, I think it did uh, do a, a justice to what was happening there. And it's opened up the doors uh, for not only uh, the investigation that was happening there, but other future things. And for me as a filmmaker, it was an amazing experience to kind of be embraced both by the community and the, the military and the government.
1: Well, Keith, I need to put you together with Randall uh, because we need to get a viral campaign going to get people eyes on his real documentary and give him a chance to to show this story out because it's a shame that there are tales like this. And I mentioned to him, Keith, I don't know if you heard at the beginning, I said, it's interesting how some people have these experiences with UFOs. You and I were talking about this, where you kind of see it and then you just don't talk about it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I saw a UFO. And my friend Dre did the same thing when she, you met her this weekend at the the conference as well. She had taken photographs of UFOs over, over uh, Cripple Creek, Colorado. And when we were at a big conference and she walked in and didn't tell any of us and literally didn't even think about it again until weeks later when she scrolled through the pictures and saw them. And she's like, oh my God, I saw UFOs. And then she never got around to tell us again. And it was it was crazy. And I said, here, we've got the Phoenix lights, Roswell incident, uh, the, the fire in the sky incident with Travis Walton, all have captured our attention. Whitley Strieber's communion story. And right. this story that took place in, in Africa, in Zimbabwe is unbelievably detailed and nobody talks about it, even though And it's like, Oh my God, I forgot that happened. It's strange. Do you think looking at what you know now, having talked to people in the UFO community, do you think there is some kind of Going on the conspiratorial angle, is there some kind of muting going on that's keeping us from really digging deeper into this or or paying deeper attention?
2: It's interesting because I, I, as I was mentioning earlier, I met with almost about a thousand people, just eyewitnesses and people who are firsthand accounts specifically about Mm -hmm. uh, Phoenix, but then being uh, going to the International UFO Congress and going to a lot of the uh, different events, the Roswell uh, uh event as well and meeting with people there um, met so many experiencers over the years who told us the same thing where they would ex- they would forget about an experience or they had seen something and then it would suddenly come rushing back and they weren't necessarily abduction stories or something like that it was just like they saw something and they just sort of didn't understand it and they sort of compartmentalized right. it so i don't know if that's a phenomenon or not but it is very common and uh i even it was it was funny i think you and i were talking about this that Kurt Russell had actually reported, uh, he was the pilot, the, the sort of the uh, civilian pilot that reported some of the sightings about the Phoenix lights in 97, but then sort of forgot about it. And then it was years later, went back and said, oh yeah, I did see that. And then he told the story uh, right. on camera and then it came back. And I thought that was very interesting because how he would have not put that together until later. But yeah,
1: he, he was it. in the air witnessing these things it wasn't just on the ground like so many others he was a pilot in the air seeing firsthand what was taking place up there and it's funny yeah you're right you think that's something that sticks with you forever but he just kind of oh it's just another day in in hollywood maybe he's maybe he's too desensitized to special effects i don't know
2: well, and there's, there's a lot of interesting things because as I was touring and learning more, because it, it was very, very much a rabbit hole, not just for the audience, but for me as well, because mm-hmm. I was doing so much research um, on the film, making the movie. And it was a short shoot I and mean, we shot the movie in 11 days. You know, Usually a big shoot is about 28 to 35 days. And we were shooting the majority of the film in, in 11 days. And uh, on the 11th day of shooting, we met with Francis Barwood in Phoenix. And she had been active in the investigation, had problems with the city council and other things, trying to report what was happening. And no one was paying her any attention or any credibility of what was there. And she started meeting with military and government officials uh, about what was happening. And she started to talk to us about this thing called operation snowbird. And we had right, one no second, let it. me
1: stop you for one second, just for people that are not familiar. It was March of 97. This at first they believed it was just one giant UFO was hovering over Phoenix. The people from many different angles videotaped that the footage exists. It's been played out on TV. It's been played on YouTube. You go look at Phoenix lights. You will see the, the original footage from many vantage points, but then it started to occur that maybe this was a formation of UFOs that were taking place. One of the official announcements was, Oh, we dropped flares, right? This was a flare incident and it was just a military drop and Oh golly us. We dropped them over a civilized part of community and poop. Oh, we should learn our lesson. It won't happen again. But this operation snowbird, actually, this is a fascinating story and you were sharing it with me this weekend. So please let the audience. Yeah. Know. So,
2: and to, a little bit to more elaborate on what you were just saying is that the lights were seen, uh, hours earlier, probably five or six o'clock or right around sunset, as far as the Nevada border, right? Which is pretty far north of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the next three to four hours, um, and actually there's a museum in Phoenix where they actually trace the path of the lights and they actually show this path, but it went down the state over Flagstaff and Prescott and then down through Northern part of Phoenix, Arizona, and then crossed over and it disappeared towards the Estrella Mountains, which is on sort of the south side of town. And um, the military came out later because there's so many 911 calls and people uh, reporting this. It was early video cameras. It was '97, so people didn't have iPhones and you know phones, uh, phone cameras the way they do now. But there were a number of people that were recording because the mm-hmm. Hale-Bopp comet was about the closest it was going to be to the Earth in about 80 years, and people were out looking to see it with their naked eye, and suddenly this fleet of lights, this formation that's over a mile long, comes over the city. And there were reports that um, F-16 fighters from Luke Air Force Base were scrambled. Uh, There were reports, uh, not MUFON, but one of the other reporting agencies that uh, the pilots came back shaken from whatever they encountered up there. And it was just a fascinating experience. There was reports that they closed the airport because they couldn't see these things on radar, but everyone could see them coming over the airport so there was a there's a lot of confusion going on and weeks later it was reported that luke air force base um had seen these and reported this in but uh down in arizona where the a10 warthogs are based that they were running training exercises uh, away from phoenix in an area called the Barry goldwater range and they were running the a10 warthogs and they were doing maneuvers and on their way back they were uh, jettisoning all of their uh, Lutu illumination flares. And the idea is they just didn't want to keep live payloads in their vehicle, so they were jettisoning them. But because of the distance and over the desert, it looked like these things were these orbs all glowing together, all moving in formation. The problem with that theory is that Lutus only last like three to five minutes. They've got uh, like a phosphorescent flare with a little parachute, and the heat keeps them up. So they can float for a while to illuminate the battlefield or whatever they're used for in those circumstances, but they don't last for four hours in formation mm-hmm. for this. And so they tried to recreate it with F-16s from Luke and it looked completely different. No one was able to recreate right. this. And so these conspiracies were all kind of coming, coming out that the government was covering up these flares. So what was really interesting was when we met with Frances Barwood, she starts talking about this idea, this conspiracy involving Operation Snowbird. And most people know about Operation Snowbird because the 104th Maryland Air National Guard um, comes out to Arizona to fly uh, their planes at the Barry Goldwater range um, because it's too cold to fly it back in Maryland uh, during that time of year, which is why they call them Snowbirds. But uh, what was, interesting was was that she said that Operation Snowbird was actually a code word that they were using as a distraction operation. And that the reason why that they were dumping flares um, that night was because this fleet or whatever was happening at this time was crossing over civilian airspace, and Operation Snowbird is designed to pull any attention away from an engagement zone, so the public is seeing some aerial display of something, and that way they can go and encounter or engage these craft. And that we found out on the eleventh day of shooting after we had shot most of our film.
1: Oh man! So
2: we were like, "This fits in exactly with the story of what we're doing," and it, and it bridges the idea that were there flares were these ships what was everyone seeing because our, our story was very much about the idea that these guys see a ship shot down by the military they go to investigate thinking it's a downed pilot and these aliens are there and their collateral damage and the military has covered up this engagement so by having operation snowbird be the backdrop of that that became the crux of our film and because there were already pilot interviews and i had met with a lot of pilots and military Ah, uh, people behind the scenes telling us about the engagement that was going on. We seeded the backbone of our story of this pilot turning states' evidence, basically doing a private interview, exposing Operation Snowbird, and that's what our film is about. And uh, and that was all based on these real interviews that we were getting from real you know officials.
1: Now the story itself with the Phoenix Lights it captured people's attention. And again, kind of faded. It's, you know, for the rest of us, it's, it's a sad reality, right? In where we are, the United States together, we are strong. We are one, a brutal hurricane hits the South. We're all worked up about it for about five days until the Kardashians do something really crazy. And then we're talking about that, right. And forget right. the devastation and damage that's been left behind. And, and the Phoenix lights as big as it is, it does kind of fade out every couple of years to obscurity until somebody brings it back in. Uh, has there been more done or released about this? And I know that now that they've got the department of justice behind this big info dump and this, this disclosure that they're working on, but they seem to only be going back about five or six years, as opposed to deep into our, our past in history. I kind of propositioned you guys with the concept this weekend of, do you think that's, listen, let's own the last five years that, yeah, we don't know what this stuff is because we can play the plausible deniability game in this. If we own up going past that, that puts us into really choppy waters because the government's already not trusted by its people very well. And right now we are at breaking points across the United States because of it. If we now admit to Roswell and, and everything that's happened since and before all trust in the government shut, right? Because they painted themselves in that corner. Do you think that we will ever get them to go far enough back into the Phoenix lights to talk about what that was? Or do you think we're just going to see that five-year window? And then going forward, we're going to be open to exploration from the government.
2: I think they have to go back. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that when you, when you look at the, the disclosure that everyone in the UFO community has been really hoping for for all these years. The mm-hmm. problem that we've always had is that there isn't really a smoking gun. There isn't any actual like, scientific proof that we can present to the mass public up until recently that actually shows and discloses what everyone's been talking about. Because mm-hmm. everyone you talk to has, has an experience, has seen something, we all believe in it. The problem is there isn't that smoking gun. And the Phoenix Lights, the reason why it was so important for its time was here you have 30,000 people, all eyewitnesses, police and military are coming out, they're showing this. And there's an active sort of operation trying to cover that up. And you heard about this in Roswell, you've seen so many other things uh, leading up to that. The Belgian wave in 89 was very similar because you had very similar craft that are lighting up NATO bases all over Belgium and this whole area in Europe. And so when you have that much investigation that's documented and same thing with what's happening now with the TikTok footage and other things, there's so much stuff that is now um, acting as sort of a a series of dominoes that they're going to open up the first five years and say, well, anything beyond that, we don't know about. And that wasn't us. And that was the previous, you know, uh, generation of people or, or administration that was doing that. But what that's going to do is that deniability of what was happening, is going to open up the doors because now those people are going to come forward and they actually have a platform to say, I was there, I was involved, and they become the new whistleblowers. And I think that was why we were doing it from with a, a thriller as a movie, because we could take a younger audience that wasn't maybe even born in 97 right, and right. now come out and say, holy crap, what is this? I heard about this, and that's exactly what's happening now. And that's why, when this Pentagon disclosure happened just over the past few years, our film shot up to the top of iTunes and Amazon because people thought it was part of the same thing. It looks the same, acted the same. And I was looking at the footage, and it looked almost identical to some of the stuff we had in our movie. So I was like, so I think it's going to go back. And I think it will be this series of dominoes that will open up that conversation for sure.
1: I know just got a very brief few seconds left and it's interesting as I'm watching the comments in the chat room and people are bringing up different elements and Eisenhower and his daughter and stories of Nixon and Jackie Gleason and right. There's that's what seeds the the problem with the UFO community is that stories like, oh yeah, during a golfing outing w- with Jackie Gleason and Nixon, Gleason beat Nixon and, and the bet was he had to take him to see the UFO and the dead alien yet Nixon never talked about it. Gleason never talked about it. It was shared, I believe, after Gleason's death by his widow. Right. So it, it gets too far removed to be considered. But I think, you know, I, I own a, a Life magazine. I want to say it's from 1953 with Marilyn Monroe on the cover. And buried in the middle of this is an article about the UFOs over Washington. Everybody's <laughs> like, well, if they exist, why don't they land on the front damn lawn? They did. They hovered. There's photographs of these craft hovering over Washington monument, the right, all of this is right there. It happened, but it was almost like, oh yeah, we're aware of it. And there is that video clip of Eisenhower doing a press conference. And as he's leaving, they ask him about the UFOs and he goes, oh yes, the flying saucers. Yes. We know about them. Just matter of fact, not like, oh my God. Yeah. You guys heard about that too. It was just like, oh yeah, yeah. We're aware. We're aware of the flying saucers. And the That was just the end of the conversation. But there's a lot of these weird little bits that have seeded that there's enough to take root that stories can grow around them. And that sometimes chokes the truth out of the original storyline.
2: And and the latest disclosures are the most important because it shows craft that are violating our airspace. And Mm -hmm. that actually represents one of two things to the public, right? That we either control our airspace or we don't. And if we control it, then we're having to disclose military craft or drones or something that we're actively working on that's going to be threatening other governments. And if we don't control that airspace, that means someone else is in our airspace that can challenge ours at a much higher rate of speed. So either way, it's not really something you could ignore. And there's too much out there to let it just be ignored. So I think that that's why everyone is hoping that this disclosure and this ramping up of information that's been happening over the past few years, getting convoluted with COVID and, and politics and everything else that's going on. It's like, what else can you throw at the fan that people you know, won't be fazed by, but it really has been a, a big increase in information to the public.
1: I, I pose this question to you and Ben um at the the conference we were just at and i'd like your take on it and randall i know you're still in the green room if you're cool with coming back on for a second i'd like to ask both of you this question you're good with it all right let me bring on randall nickerson as well um so my question is this you're right right now the world the world is kind of broken the united states is broken and we're also at highest tensions we've been since the cold war with russia and with china And isn't it interesting that we suddenly release footage of craft that can do remarkable things that can go out of the water, into the water, fly at supersonic speeds, and then we make a clear declaration to the people of the United States, we know this isn't Russia, we know this isn't China or Japan, gosh, we don't know where these things are coming from. I feel like it's almost a posturing from the US government that they're either using the UFO footage to maybe use as propaganda to our enemies to say... It's not yours. You know, it's not yours. If it's not none of yours, it's got to be ours, right? Or are they just doing disinformation to again use the UFO hype to blow up to keep everything else kind of at bay? You know, we're we're not talking about the COVID. We're not talking about Trump. We're not talking about Biden. We're talking about a different element, like Reagan and Gorbachev said, right? If this one thing comes to us, we're all going to be a united front again, right? right. When, when Reagan and Gorbachev had that meeting, it was if the aliens, if the aliens come, we're one world, man, we're not nations, we're one world, and we have to figure out what we're going to do with this. What do you think, Randall? Do you think that that the information and disclosure is disingenuous? Or do you believe that they're just at a point where they can't hide it anymore, and they have to admit to these things?
0: Um, I've done a fair amount of thought about that. And my personal opinion is if they're going to drop this card, you know, they're they're going to, ha- it's going to take, things are going to have to be really bad because they know the effect it's going to have. And I do mm-hmm. agree with that, to be honest with you, I think it will bring us together in a way we've never really had, because we've never had a superior species. We've never interacted with a superior species. Um, and, it, you know, they're obviously, from what I've researched, they're not from here. So, it kind of does, does change the dynamic. I'm always cautious when it comes to um, how they're they need to spin this. I think it is, mm-hmm. like you were saying, there there have been multiple generations on this problem, and uh, you know a lot of those guys are almost all of them are dead now from the original group. Um, I mean, it doesn't take much to actually it right. well. It does, but you, you keep hearing the same thing from people that aren't a UFO people, that are military people, that you know, it's just it's the way it goes. But so that's my, my feeling is, um, if they're going to really drop this card, they're doing it for a really good reason, and I think Keith
1: we see the reasons. Yeah, Keith, what do you think? You know, is this is this just a spin to use the UFO as a way to bluster and bluff our way to our enemies, or? Are we disclosing because we're at a point where something big is about to come and we need to get ahead of it?
2: it, It's interesting because each of the different reports that have come out and and paying attention to them closely, they're all a little different. They're not the same. Mm -hmm. And so to, to me, part of it is I look at some of the footage and I look at some of the reports and I've met with some people and I definitely believe that some of it is, advanced military stuff that has not been disclosed yet for sure there's some stuff that's there that i've been told and you look at how it behaves and Mm -hmm. you get different branches of the government or or, of the military just not communicating because they don't have clearance so they're running an operation in proximity to another operation the two there and every pilot right now has their phone with them and they're they're privately recording stuff and that's the stuff that's leaking out and so if that isn't been disclosed um, then you have a military op that can't be shared. And I, and I believe that there is many instances of that being part of this. And they are now using that spin because of this escalation that's happened in Ukraine and other things where you have Iranian drones coming in and you have other things where they were like, Oh, you have this? Well, guess what we have? Uh, or maybe not. Um, because there was a lot of reports of Soviet, uh, or Russian, uh, hypersonic missiles and we didn't have anything in our arsenal that would equal it. And then suddenly a disclosure comes out about a week later saying, oh, well, we're not worried about those missiles because we have this. And so uh, war is not a pretty thing and it's not uh, anything to, to glorify, but I do think that the government is using that as a way to push back in those instances. Um, the flip side, I think, is equally interesting because there's some footage in there that no one can make any heads or tails about and it just defies anything that's there. Right. And I think with what's happening with the, the latest telescopes and what's happened with the, the, the Kepler and the, the Hubble uh, sort of uh, – sort of uh, next steps that they're taking for, you know, the new advancements in technology that, that mm-hmm. the telescopes are there. We're looking farther and further into places we've never seen before. And my f- personal feeling is, is that we have seen things and we are finding things now and the scientific community and the military and not just our government, but a handful of governments are trying to figure out how do we bring this to the public? Because we're now seeing something, even if it's not mm-hmm. necessarily craft here, but we've, we're seeing things now. And that's why you're it's, seeing planets and other things that are life-supporting.
1: Isn't it interesting that the first person to really kind of make the, the disclosure open, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I believe it was Pope Benedict. He was the hmm. first from the Catholic Church to step forward because we've always played behind the enigma of religion and religiosity as to why this can't be. And right. for Pope Benedict to come out and say... You know, it's okay to believe in life on other planets. Our God is too good to have stopped with one, right? It, right. it kind of was like giving the stamp of, "All right, governments, you could start letting stuff out now because the church is behind you or in front of you." In this case, uh, I, I was something just struck me, Randall and Keith. I'll throw you real quick before we go, but um, you said, Randall, they're not from here, right? What if they are? What if these are That's beings absurd. that pre pre history us? and we're ruining their earth too that's why they're coming up and they're saying get your stuff together guys you're killing our planet and and do you think that there's a chance that they're here they're the usos they're living in these subterranean which sounds maddening but it doesn't because those are we've we've explored so much but we can't get to certain depths in the water to explore any further and that would be a perfect place for things that have learned how to get there and we know that dolphins were once land dwelling mammals they still have phalanges in their in their fins right they still have fingers we know that these were beings that were gray with large dark eyes a slit for a mouth that had to mutate and take over into the water that's undeniable there's been all of these changes are they here already have they always been here
2: i mean for me i actually i love that idea and i love the idea that it's the opposite as well that they're actually from our future coming back and trying to warn us from where we're potentially going right the idea that they're so similar to us they have such an interest in us and uh they have a vested interest in our future um so if time travel or that ability is there then they're coming back to be our future selves warning us about the the path we're going down and so I, i hadn't thought about that just being from our our ancestors coming forward but actually i love i love both ideas and it works it works both ways and very plausible
0: Randall, what do you think? Are they here? Have they always been here? I think they've been here for a long time. I don't really know. I, you know, I entertain those ideas of, well, maybe they're here, but, you know, when I talk to witnesses and they describe what it was like to be in front of this thing, uh, or these things, and I've done a lot of other interviews with people, including military guys and, uh, pilots and, you know, when it's I mean it just makes me feel like no these things are so foreign and so weird that <laughs> right I mean, what's the worst possible thing? The, really the worst possible thing is and the more factual thing is they're from another planet. right We know there are other planets exist. Our planet, my feeling is our planet is unique in a way. There's plenty of our planets around scattered about this universe, but they're still rare. So, there's millions of species on this planet. We're discovering new species all the time here. Um, Maybe an advanced species would be like, you know, that's ours. (laughs) And like, we don't want you to destroy these millions of other species that don't exist on, you know, some Mm -hmm. other world. Maybe. I mean, it just, you know, to really widen your scope and back away and look at the potential challenge here. Um, and why they may be interested in being very subtle with us and being very careful in how they interact with us so we don't freak out and blow ourselves up anyway. We are a bit of an overreactive species, aren't we? Yeah, no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, the comments uh, section are hilarious right now, and uh, aliens are here for our hair and our tacos. and. uh, But uh, the but thing funny thing the is, is that you look at a squid, and a squid has got to be the best evidence, right? You know, octopus or her squid is like, that's... That's true. That, that's it. Yeah. So it makes eating squid tacos probably even worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. folks,
1: uh, again, yeah. Randall Nickerson, uh, aerial phenomenon. Check out the documentary. Links on tonight's program guide. Thanks for popping back on at the end here with us, Randall. I appreciate it.
0: No, I appreciate you guys. I was listening carefully, and I appreciate your knowledge to both of you.
1: We'll connect you with Keith. I need to get this thing viral. We need to get your your documentary up there like Keith's is, uh, movie is blowing yeah, up. Well, so thank hey, you. I need to watch thank it you. again. <laughs> Fantastic. Keith, thank <laughs> you for joining me. It was a great time having you here. And uh, let's talk again. We've got a lot to discuss. And like I said, I'll connect you with Randall. And uh, let's let's blow up these real stories. Let's get people thinking. Let's get people out of their paradigm comfort zones and start examining the magic that's around us every day and and the fact that we need to go deeper. The the film is out and available. I have a link for it on today's program guide so they can find you, find your website, find how to watch this and be a part of it. Just let's be real clear. No fourth kind stuff here. This is a movie based on the Phoenix lights incident from March of 1997, but it is a sci-fi thriller movie that you've created. Absolutely. As far as we know, or it's just part of the disclosure. Are you that's part right. of the, the people releasing it? Uh, that's fun stuff. All right. It's, thank I you, are with Keith. you. Then that's where you go. That's exactly it. That is exactly how it goes. Uh, take care, Keith. We will talk again real soon. All right, folks. I told you on my way home, I uh, had about six hours of flight time to kill. So I was uh, sitting there and, and I know the show I was going to do tonight live. I'm sorry there was no show on Friday uh, due to issues. Uh, I wasn't able to, to pull it off from where I was in California and doing the pre-record fell through because Neil's story is in the middle of Bumbershoot England and uh the aluminum cannon string he had connected to his internet was not working well. So I apologize for that. But uh, tonight let's end with one of these. It's time now
2: for upon
1: further review. Now this is a relatively newer movie, but it's already made its cycle and it's now out at uh, Redbox. It's for rent on Amazon prime and more. Uh, this is the movie by Jordan Peele. Nope. He has entered the foray of horror movies and has done so in very inventive ways. I'm not always a huge fan of all of the movies he's released, but I think I, what I appreciate is that he's thinking outside the box. He's telling, finding a new way to tell stories. And I really think, uh, this one is, is fascinating. Let's take a look. This is the trailer for nope
2: what if I told you that today you'll leave here different pops pops I'm talking to you bro what would you see Someone above the clouds that's big how big big you think whatever kill pops is out there
0: Right here, you are going to witness
2: an absolute spectacle. So, what happens next? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Here we go.
0: No. This is be an opportunity.
2: I'm talking rich and famous for life. There's plenty of videos for flying shit online. You know what gonna get? What we gonna get?
0: What we gonna get? The money shot. What's up?
2: Undeniable truth of aliens on camera. The Oprah shot.
0: You guys gonna tell me what's going on? Hell no.
2: no. So now I'm out here, and you're the only person in the world that can get it on film.
0: That cloud, he moved an inch.
2: It's aliens. They're just waiting for the perfect time to shove metal probes up our asses. I'll be rooting for you. I think we pissed them off.
1: Yeah, they repainted your house. They're gonna come back.
0: You ready? We got some work to do. Not it. Nope. I'll get him out. I'll get the shot.
2: Let's go,
0: baby! Let's go! I need you to tell me. What did you see in that cloud? is well, it's not what you think. No! They took him. They took him home. I've
1: got to get out of
2: this house. I'm trying to save you. My brother is out
1: there. I don't think they take you. you don't
0: look at it. Look, don't look, don't look. a dream you're chasing where you end up at
2: the top of the mountain it's the one you never wake up from you'll be getting a call from my supervisor asking how my service was five
0: stars angel five stars
1: I think this is an interesting campaign for advertising. They almost make it seem like a kind of a lighthearted, fun romp movie with some comedy. It is not. It's a very intense, dark movie. Uh, There is an interesting set of threads and narratives that Jordan Peele puts in and opens up to the audience and brings you through uh, to give you backstories on some of these characters and bring you right to the point of, eyewitness of UFO craft, but in a way I've never seen done before. And some of it's very clever, uh, you know, the way it, uh, rebels when they try to trick it and so on and so forth. It is a really good movie. I, I know there was a lot of, of mouth and off about this movie after it came out. I'm not quite sure where that came from. But uh, I would say, uh, I would give this the highest rating of any of the Jordan Peele movies I've seen so far. Uh, I would give this a solid four Phantoms, one being it sucks, five, it is incredible. I put this at about a four. Uh, and, and I can't tell you what that little magic spark is that would have made it five. It's probably closer to five than I'm giving it credit to. But get a chance, watch it. I think you're going to enjoy it if you enjoy UFOs and you enjoy a different take on a story. And uh, the whiz is is fascinating. I hope you've enjoyed our time here tonight. I want to thank Randall Nickerson for joining us and make sure again to support him and support that movie. They're up to 1 million views. There's billions of us on this planet. Get this movie out, get people to see it. We need to talk about this, this, this case, the, uh, it, it is so powerful and so amazing. And it was seen by a huge community of people that witnessed, not just a craft, but beings, and this should be shared. More people should know about it. So make sure that you follow the links today and go support that. Um, I also want to thank uh, Keith Aram, my new buddy, for uh, coming on the show tonight, sharing about uh, the real story behind the Phoenix Lights and some of the fun of making this film and the strange things that took place while doing that, uh, the the things that they had to face in in dealing with that, and then allowing us to have an open forum at the end to discuss a couple of these different concepts about what's going on in the world. I'd love to hear from you. Put your comments For those of you watching on YouTube in today's uh, comment section under the video, for those of you watching later, thank you very much for tuning in and checking this out as well. For those of you listening to the audio, uh, as always, it is much appreciated, and uh, I will be back this week, Friday, with a brand new episode, full cast in gear for the Paranormal 60 News. So. When you're outside, become more aware of your surroundings. Become more aware of the things that you see and hear and experience. Keep your eyes to the skies, because there is something watching. And maybe you'll just be lucky enough to be an eyewitness to something. I hope that the information that we share here brightens the darkness just a little bit for you in your world, and I hope that you'll continue to join us on this journey. It is my pleasure to be your host on this. I am Dave Schrader, and this is The Paranormal 60.